Right, that's enough. Let's get into God's Word. We're going to read in a moment um, from Ephesians chapter 6. So if you want to get your Bible ready, uh, we'll read that together. But we're coming towards the end of our look at Ephesians that we've been calling One New Family. I hope you've enjoyed going through Ephesians. It's an amazing book, isn't it? It's one of those books that you can keep reading and reading and reading and still never get anywhere near all the wonders and the treasures that are in it. But we're now into the final straight as the Apostle Paul begins to wind up this last part of the letter, unpacking, as we've been doing so since Christmas, how we live a life worthy of the calling that we've received. That's actually what it's about. We have been given this wonderful, wonderful life in Jesus. And our response is to live in the good of it. And that's what Paul's been encouraging us to do as we've been going through chapters 4, 5, and now into chapter 6. And again, I'm not going to stop saying this. You cannot read these final chapters without first reading those first three chapters of the letter. One, two, and three, those first chapters, they laid all out for us what we have in Christ, what we have through the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And indeed, all those spiritual blessings, all those realities, they are secured for us in Christ. And they are the foundation for us to now walk in a life worthy of the calling we've received. So with that, there's a little bit of an introduction. Let's read from chapter 6. I'm going to read from verse 10 through to verse 18. You can tell that Paul's great preacher, he likes finally. <laughs> and he hasn't yet ended. Okay? So finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Wow. Goodness me. That's just so important that we grab hold of that for a moment, isn't it? 
in some sense, enough said, <laughs> isn't it? Do you know, a few years ago, um, when our children were a little bit younger, we went to Rest Park, not too far away. And um, whilst we were there, they were doing some medieval drama, acting out battles. So they got knights on horses, and they got foot soldiers, and they were kind of showing you ancient warfare. And um, loads of swords, loads of axes. I love the axes. Tell you what, they're massive, incredible things. And lances and all, all the stuff that you can associate with medieval battles. I think it was just a big excuse for people to dress up and pretend to bash the living daylights out of each other, if I'm really honest with you. It was kind of a bit of stress relief, I think, for some grown men particularly. But afterwards, after they'd done all this, and it was fascinating because you, you got actually something of the drama of it, well, I say drama, the terror that would have been in that kind of hand-to-hand -hand combat. But, you know, afterwards, everybody got up from the ground and they had a cup of tea. And it was all sorted. It was just a bit of harmless fun. And I don't know about you, but when you read passages like this, you can kind of think that it's a, a nice, quaint analogy. Maybe even because we've all had great kids' talks on the armour of God, haven't we? Maybe you haven't. Maybe you've been spared that, I don't know. But I remember as a kid doing children's talks or being in part of children's talks where you got to put on, you know, all this armour. And it's all quaint, isn't it? It's all great. It's all fun. But we can actually miss the seriousness of what Paul is addressing through this passage. He isn't giving us a quaint analogy. He's speaking about the ultimate warfare. Maybe Paul himself was kind of inspired by the fact that he was um, writing this letter in prison. And verse 20 tells us, you don't remember me in my chains? It's not, a, it's not a spiritual term. He was physically chained, probably. Maybe even to a Roman soldier. He would have probably seen the Roman guards. Maybe he would have been inspired by these guys and the way they dressed. They wouldn't have probably had all their uniform on when they were inside, but he would have seen them get dressed going out in their armour. And it probably would have inspired him. You need to understand something. The Roman soldier in Paul's day was the ultimate fighting machine. Uh, to us, it's a bit quaint, isn't it? You know, knives and shields and things like that. This was the ultimate fighting machine. This was modern warfare at the cutting edge, literally. And so Paul's saying, hey, just be reminded, this isn't a playground. This is a battleground. I just want to say this, church, because I'm not wanting us to get fixated in the wrong place this morning. But, you know, I think the danger that we have fallen to, into in our current age is that we've dismissed the spiritual battle that we are caught up in because of our connection with Jesus Christ. And I want us to kind of get our focus 
back in the right place this morning, not on the spiritual battle, but on Jesus, which is what we've done in our worship. That's why worship is always great when it focuses upon Jesus and what he's done and all the amazing things that he then gives to us. But if you forget you're in a battle, you will at your peril, I think, fall into things that may take you away from the blessings that you have in Christ. You need to be aware. And that's what Paul is doing for us. And I just want to say a little comment about this. I haven't got time this morning to unpack this. I'm very happy to sit down with anybody. Look, I'm not wanting to dumb down some big questions. I know sometimes in our modern culture, people say, you know, talking about a devil... Talking about spiritual forces of evil powers and principalities that have influence in heavenly realms. Gosh, can we really talk like that today in our modern world? It sounds a bit more like fantasy and fiction than it does about real life. Can we realis- realistically believe in a devil? Let me just um, say something to you. Ignore all the kind of Little red figures with horns and tridents and all that stuff. Understand that the Bible teaches us about the existence of evil and that there is a personal focus and leader of that evil. And the Bible gives the name Satan or devil to that being. And he does have many forces of darkness, demons or evil spirits, that oppose and oppress humanity and seek to bring evil and chaos on the earth. We see that all around us. And you know, Jesus himself, now this is the important thing, and this is why we come this way. Jesus himself, when he walked this world, opposed the devil. He resisted the devil when he tempted him. He cast him out wherever he found him. And he warned his followers not to be deceived or overcome by evil. This is Jesus. And so, I'm following Jesus. And I'm trusting Jesus, and I'm trusting what he says to be absolutely true. Jesus even taught us, didn't he, to pray in the great prayer that we pray, hopefully, a lot of the time, the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. Actually, it can be translated, deliver us from the evil one. And you know, Paul himself knows the cost of this spiritual battle. As I said, for the sake of Jesus, he's now in chains. He knew the opposition that came against him. He knew many took, sought to take his life. And so therefore he writes to alert us to take seriously the battle that we are in, and to know our adversary, whose desire is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's his intention. Jesus himself, John chapter 10, talking about the thief, but he's talking about devil, talking about Satan. His desire is to steal, rob you of everything that you have, to kill you, destroy you, take as many with him. He's a finished foe, but he wants to take as many with him. So just understanding that, we now listen to what Paul says. What does he tell us to do? Well, he says, finally, 
which actually quite literally means this, from this time forward, or in other words, now do all the time. So it's not so much a finally that I'm summing up my, um, my, my kind of letter, I'm coming to the end, it's come and do this all the time. From now on, do this. And he says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. So, yeah, we're in a battle. We are needing to be aware of the adversary that we have. But now, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. And that's where we get it all from. In fact, it's let the Lord and his power be strong in us. Let the power of God impact us and change us and make us strong. That's what we've been doing this morning. One of the ways that we get to do that is by welcoming the presence of the Holy Spirit into us, worshipping and focusing on Jesus, getting truth into us, because it makes us strong. It lifts us. Where we're feeling weak, it comes and puts courage into us. Where there's fear, it drives it out of us. And it gives us power, not in our strength. It's not about us trying to have positive thinking. Nothing wrong with positive thinking. We need Christ's mind. We need what he declares. We need what he has says. Because that is what makes us strong. That's what we've been doing this morning. Be strong in the Lord. And he says, put on the full armour of God. Now again, the emphasis is not so much on all the armour, although that's important. The emphasis is upon it's God's armour and you put it on. All right? So this is, this is the armour of the Lord. In fact, if you want to know a bit of a context to this, if you go into the Old Testament in Isaiah 59 and verse 17... The Lord himself describes himself as a warrior fighting for his people. And he puts on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation. This is the Lord. And now in Christ, we get covered in him. One of Paul's favorite sayings is, we are now in Christ. And we now, in him, Get to wear God's armor. Well, isn't that amazing? When you think about that, it's not you're dressing yourself with some kind of human equivalent. You are now being clothed with the power, authority, and the armor of God Himself. Does that not excite you? This is really important stuff. We get the privilege of walking. In what Jesus has won. Yeah. That picture, you know, the, the, on the horse, victorious, riding behind him. It's kind of all part of the same thing, but actually, we now get to wear his armor. That's amazing, isn't it? Absolutely awesome truth. And then Paul says to us just be reminded it's not against flesh and blood that we need to wear this armour. Although, just need to understand something. Although it's not against flesh and blood, sometimes it gets manifested through flesh and blood. 
Have you noticed that? But that doesn't mean that our focus is on flesh and blood. Our focus actually is on Jesus. And we recognize that even when evil comes, and it will do, and it will manifest itself sometimes through men and women and boys and girls, even sometimes those closest to you in your own family. Have you noticed this? Sometimes that's where it comes. And you know, sometimes, even through you. But our focus isn't there. Our focus is upon Jesus. And so, let me just put a little aside in here. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood, let's make clear and make it clear to each one of us that we don't attack each other. All right? Even when we get irritated with one another, even when we get the hump about various things with one another, we don't attack one another. We don't pull people down because our battle's not against flesh and blood. So what that means for us is, it doesn't matter however uncomfortable it gets for us sometimes, we are there to be our brother and our sister's keeper. We are there, actually, in the power of the Lord, to be strong, to uphold the people of God in the power of Christ. Does that make sense? So let's be very, very wise in the way that we address issues when we get upset, when we get a little bit irritated, because we'll all be there. Don't let anger overflow. You know, Paul's already talked about anger, isn't it? In your anger, do not sin. Make sure that we don't attack flesh and blood. Hello? Yeah? That's really important, church. Because that's not the battle. That's not where it is fought. And then, Paul says, the purpose of us clothing ourselves with this divine armor. Now, it's a strange thing, because we often talk about, in the kingdom, taking ground. And we do take ground in the kingdom. We really do. When the Spirit of the Lord is upon us, and we're doing the stuff of the kingdom, we do take ground. But actually, Paul's emphasis here is not about taking ground. It's about standing. It's about standing in the midst of the battle. What Paul's actually saying is this. He wants us to be stable as men and women, boys and girls who follow Jesus. He's saying, come on, you don't need to be wobbly Christians. Some of you are thinking, am I a wobbly Christian? Am I a bit wobbly? Well, we might be wobbly in certain places, but we are not called to be wobbly in terms of our faith and standing in Christ. In fact, Paul says, it doesn't matter what you are, humanly speaking. You might feel that you are weak and vulnerable. You might be in some very difficult circumstances because life in this sin-sick world has some very different things and difficult places for us to walk through. But however weak you feel, you can stand strong in the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> Are we all right there? Good. Are you standing strong? Good. Good. 
I just want to actually just pause a moment. And I, I just want to almost say right now, let the strength of Jesus come into you. Whatever you're walking through, whatever circumstance, some of you might be in all sorts of places, whether it's in your families, in your workplace, just the stuff of life that you're walking through, and you're, to be honest, you're feeling a bit wobbly. You're feeling as though, do you know what, I'm not sure I'm going to come out the other side of this. I want to say to you right now, Jesus declares, in him you stand. And I'm praying right now, Holy Spirit, just strengthen, strengthen every believer in this room. Strengthen them. Some of you thinking, I've got to go to work tomorrow and I'm not even sure I've got the courage to go through the door. Jesus says to you, I'm with you. In me, you can stand. Some of you are in really difficult family situations. I, I know many situations. and I just want you to know right now, the Lord gives you his strength to stand. To stand. So important. Standing is advancing. Staying your ground in the storm is victory. Have you got that? The Lord gives you strength to stand. And then, he goes on to define some things. And we're going to go through these very quickly. Actually, let me just encourage you to, if you, if you can, get hold of a little book that was written many, many years ago by a guy called Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee was a Christian who lived in China, Chinese pastor, who was in prison for his faith. And for some 20 years was in a detention center and had to live out the very things that we're talking about. And in fact, he lost his life in 1972. He died in that detention center. And underneath the pillow, didn't have much of a pillow, but under the pillow that he had, one of the guards found almost the final sentences before he died. And and basically it was, my hope and my confidence is in Christ alone. In him I stand. Even though I die now, I don't. I enter into his presence, into his glory, because my confidence is in Christ alone. And his daughter was given this by the prison guard. But he wrote a commentary on Ephesians, and he, he called it, Sit, Walk, Stand. And picking up various bits through Ephesians, and before you can do anything else, you have to sit. You have to sit with Christ in heavenly places. You have to be caught up with him. In fact, you don't do anything. You sit with him. You, you are with him. Beautiful pictures of sitting with Jesus. Hey, that's the first thing you do. But then from that place, you walk. You walk in the things that he's called you to. And you walk with him. Jesus loved walking with his followers. Walking with them. We get to walk with Jesus. And then we stand. 
we stand in that place. Actually, there's another thing which I think he probably could have had added into his book because there's another, another kind of active word that's found in Ephesians, and it's the word kneel. Chapter 3. He says, I kneel before the Father. And actually, what he gets to do at the end of this passage is to encourage us in prayer. Kneel. Those are great ways of remembering how we live in the armor of God. Let me encourage you to read that. It's a fantastic little book. It's still available. Then Paul says, the bell of truth. The bell of truth. It's, it's kind of, actually, it's, it's, it's a bit like a piece of underwear, really. It holds you secure. It keeps you well covered. <laughs> it protects you. Holds all the other bits of your kit together. It was the bit that you had your sword on. It, the tunic that would often hang loose when you want to get ready for battle. You don't want anything hanging loose. You tie it up. You put the belt around you. Paul saying, truth is like that belt that holds you secure. And church, we live in a world that values opinion over truth. We are the generation of opinion. Everybody has an opinion. But there's only one truth that sets you free. And it's found in Jesus. And what Paul is saying is that you need that truth. That truth that you get from, yeah, from the word of God. From singing the truth that comes out of the word of God. The revelation that comes through the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. You need to get truth into you. You need that truth to be the foundation on which you build your life. And let me tell you this, you spend the majority of your life living in places that will tell you lies. So you need to address that in some way because the atmosphere in which you find yourself will eventually permeate you. And so you need ways and means in the midst of that to get truth into your being. I, I'm just going to give you a few examples of what I try and do. I'm not saying I'm perfect in this on any level. I'm just trying to tell you what I've learned to do. I make sure that every day I do get time to read something of God's Word. It might just be a verse. It might just be a little sentence. Sometimes it's more. Sometimes it's less. But I do that because I want the truth of God's Word in me. I make time every day at least for just a couple of minutes. In fact, it's usually a little bit longer, praise the Lord, but I, I get some songs which I know declare truth. I've got, and I, you know, these, these can be a mixed blessing, but Spotify, hallelujah, praise the Lord for Spotify. Okay, my song lists, I, I just listen to them. I get truth, I'm in the place by myself. I just let truth get into me. When we sing truth, it goes deep. It really does. That's why we, that's why we worship. Why do we, why do we do this? Why do we make music? Because music gets into us. It kind of unlocks the heart. It gets deep within and truth gets in. Paul's saying you need that belt of truth around you. It probably also means that as a result of that, we live truthfully. Paul's already talked about in chapter 4 about not, not living deceitful lies. It talks about uh, telling the truth, living in the light, being honest, 
Do you know what? When we have the truth, we can live truthfully. It's about living transparently. One of the things that is the most liberating thing that the truth of God does is, it means that you no longer have to have shame in your life about anything that's ever happened to you. Do you know what? The world, and particularly the devil, will accuse you and make you feel as though you are the worst of the worst. Well, did you do that? Did you get into that? Oh, my word. And yet the cross of Jesus comes and wipes it clean, takes your shame, and therefore there's no condemnation. And therefore it's the most beautiful and liberating thing to live transparently under the blood of Jesus Christ washing us clean. There's nothing, nothing for us to be afraid of. We can live truthfully. We can live transparently. I want to just say, as the people of God, let's live truthfully. Can it be, please, that what we see is what we get? Can it be that we don't have veneers? Can it be that we don't have to put on a face or a front? Or actually, we only get part of you? Can we please be who we are, unashamedly? And if the stuff that needs sorting out, we know who can. Wow. Belt of truth, very important. Secondly, breastplate of righteousness. This was the thing that covered your heart or your vital organs. And... Um, Protecting your heart is very important. In fact, the Bible says a lot about the heart. Guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. Actually, Paul talks about the breastplate of righteousness. And again, it's talking primarily about the righteousness that comes to us in Christ. Let me just remind you that when Jesus died in your place and rose again, and when you accept what he's done for you, you believe what he's done, you step into what he's done for you, guess what? You get his righteousness. You are now dressed in his righteousness. When Father God looks at you, he sees you in the righteousness of Jesus. He didn't see all the other stuff because that's now dealt with. He sees you in the righteousness of of Christ. He sees you perfect. He sees you holy in Christ. You get to live in the good of that. That guards your heart. Do you know what? We probably in this room have got a list of things that if we were to, all the stuff that we've done, oh man, we probably covered it all. But Jesus has literally covered it all <laughs> and given us his righteousness. That's what we live in. So when, when, when all the rubbish comes, you know, you're just worthless, you're rubbish, you messed up today, what are you doing? Bob, yes, sir. you're covered in the righteousness of Thank Jesus. Isn't that good news? Yes, it's amazing news, isn't it? Yeah. Dots, hey, when you don't hit those notes, which you do beautifully, <laughs> you, you do be I, tell, I love this voice. But you know what? Whether you hit the notes or whether you don't, you're always covered in the righteousness of Jesus. That's brilliant news, isn't it? Wonderful, wonderful. This is great news. And because we're covered in the righteousness of Christ, we then give, we get the privilege of living rightly. You see, when we're made right, 
we can live right. Hallelujah. And it's not that we now do it to prove it. We do it because we get to do it. We get to be who we are. And so righteous. How do you stand against the devil? Clothe yourself in the righteousness of Jesus. Hallelujah. And live from that place. Good place to stand. I need to get going, otherwise I'm going to run out of time. Thirdly, shoes of the gospel of peace. These boots that a soldier had, they helped him to stand in the battle. They had little studs in at the front, and they were kind of like the, the ultimate footwear of the day. They were like, um, they were like Nike Air, on, you know, the equivalent on speed, yeah, but they got grips and they got incredible. They were designed to help a soldier stand in the battle. But Paul says it's like having the readiness, being ready with the gospel of peace. And it means that you're ready. First of all, you know the gospel because it saved you. Hallelujah. Can I just say this? I've heard one or two people who've said this, and I hope you won't say this. Well, you know, I've kind of got the cross and resurrection now. I think it's time to move on to a few new things. What? You never move on in that sense from the cross and resurrection. It is the foundation it's the gospel. It sets you free. You live in the goodness of that. But the second thing is this. You're then dressed, ready for service, so that whenever you get the opportunity, you declare the gospel of peace. You know, we've been living, haven't we, with um, some of these things that uh, Evan Roberts in the Welsh Revival taught as part of the prelude to God pouring out his spirit. And one of the things that Evan Roberts said is that you publicly confess Christ daily publicly confess Christ daily. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Absolutely right. Power of God unto salvation. Absolutely. Dressed, ready to give an account of the gospel that you have. That's not going through all the doctrines. It's just telling what Jesus has done in your life. I was this. This is what he's done for me. This is who I am now. It's not as complicated as I think we sometimes make it. Readiness with the gospel. And then, the shield of faith. This was the big shield, not the little shield. You know, sometimes Roman soldiers have little round shields, but this is the big shield. You know, the ones that we see in the movies, where they, they form the phalanx or the turtle, where they were joined together, their spears at the front and the shields on the top. And you know what? It was almost an invincible force. This was the big shield. And it was a shield that was designed to stop arrows. And especially arrows that had fire on them. And Paul's saying, do you know what? We need the shield of faith. It's the shield of trust. It's, it's, we know that our confidence is ultimately on Christ. And so we believe every word that he says. And you know, this is so important. It's easy to say, but sometimes it's not always easy to live. We have to believe what God says over the way we feel. We live, again, in a society which is great, that it's got in touch with its feelings. Hallelujah. Except 
it's got in touch with its feelings in a way that elevates them as gods. So the way I feel now is the way that I act. That's dangerous. I tell you, you don't want to act some days on the way that you feel. Am I right? Paul says that faith takes precedence over our feelings. We believe what Jesus says. And actually, as I believe what he says, those darts, those feelings that sometimes come and make us feel completely horrible, full of fear, full of of, of despair, sometimes discouragement, all the stuff, we put the faith shield up and says, no, Jesus says this. Jesus declares this over me. And I extinguish that in the name of Jesus. And sometimes we have to talk to ourselves, grab hold of ourselves and say, come on. Actually, I believe what Jesus says. That's the shield of faith. It's not denying feelings. Don't miss here. I I do have feelings. We all have feelings and they need to be dealt with as well. But we line them up under the truth of God's word. And this is where the shield of faith is also important in a corporate sense because, interestingly, I'm sure Paul would have had this picture of us forming this turtle together. Because, you know, there are some times when some of us are really struggling to hold on. It's almost like our fingernails are just, just holding on. And that's where we get to stand with one another. We get to, we get to stand with one another. Come on, Rich. We get to stand and we say, do you know what? I might, I might actually be feeling very strong, but you know, I'm covering my brother right now. Rich, you're not going to fall. You are. We're standing with you. Come on, Jess. Come and stand with him. Come on. Phil, come on. Come and get behind him. Come and get behind him. Yeah, get behind him. Yeah. Not get behind me, Satan. No, get behind, <laughs> get behind me, brother. That's right. Yeah. You see, we stand with each other. The shield of faith means that we cover each other. We have faith for each other in Jesus. And there are some of you here now who need us to stand with you to help that faith that God has put in you be strengthened in the Lord. Yeah, bless you guys. And I I, I felt that particularly this morning that there are some of you who, who are trying to do this on your own. Do you know what? That's one of the other things that the enemy tries to do. Isolate you. Put you in a place where you never dare to share these things, never get fellowship with other people because I can't, I just feel, no, come on. We're never meant to be individuals on our own in Christ. We're called to be individuals together in Christ, a family. Nearly there. Helmet of salvation in many ways. I've already talked a little bit about that. The salvation, we never move on from the hope that is as I can sing of your love forever. The day you rescued me, the day you set me free. I love singing salvation songs. I do, because it is amazing truth. It reminds me, amazing grace. Amazing grace. It's not me. Keep putting it on. And in fact, the helmet of salvation reminds us that the biggest battle is here. Biggest battle's here. 
in our minds, the thoughts, the lies, the fears, the anxieties, where do they hit first? Here. And we just need the helmet of salvation. We need the truth of God to keep on telling us, you are loved. You are precious to Father. He'll never leave you or forsake you. God's calling on your life is not going to change. You're chosen, you're accepted, you're forgiven. You're strong in the Lord. He's got you covered. None's going to pluck you from his hand. All these truths, he who began a good work in you is going to see it through to completion. You're not going to miss out. You're going to get there. He's going to get you home. You're not going to to die before the line. He's going to get you well across the line and into all eternity. Hallelujah. Okay? We need to replace thoughts that are defective with the truth that God has over us. It's the battle for the mind, but you know what? It's a battle that Jesus has won. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, I battle with these thoughts. You know, sometimes I wake up and I think, oh gosh, I feel so afraid today. Yeah, I do, I feel afraid. But Lord, I'm going to cast it all onto you because you care for me, you love me. Don't have to be panicky anymore. I don't have to worry about whether these people love me anymore because you love me. You know all that stuff, all the insecurities that we go through? We let God fill our mind with his hope and his truth. And then the sword of the Spirit. Seems a bit strange, doesn't it, when we're battling um, in our media about giving up knives? (laughs) But you know, it is a weapon. It's the word of God. It's the only offensive weapon that we have in the armor. It's where we, by the truth of God's word, we overcome all the lies. It's all the stuff that I've just been talking about. And then praying in the spirit, which kind of flows on from that. It's, we get to pray this in. And let me just finish with this, because one of the reasons why we've felt really provoked about pursuing God in prayer all the time, and now stepping into this 24-7 prayer week, is that we believe that it's about praying in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and all kinds of requests in all circumstances for all God's people, that's very important. And I want to invite you to come and be part of it. Let me just finish with this story. In about 1730-ish, there was a revival in Moravia. Um, God poured out his Spirit on this little place that's now in parts of, I think, the Czech Republic. Um, And... um, a move came on a village and a whole region around there which literally brought thousands of Moravians into the kingdom. And as a result of that, there was a real passion to start praying. And originally, it started off with just 12 men and 12 women. And they committed themselves to pray all the time, 24-7. And they said, we wanted to keep on bringing the fire of the Lord, as it were, in prayer on the altar. We want it the fire to constantly be burning. And so they started this prayer meeting about 1732, something like that. And people joined this movement. Started off with about 24, but people joined this movement. And let me tell you that as a result of that, that prayer meeting went on for a hundred years. They prayed 
ceaselessly, not obviously everybody all the time, but different ones joined in. And for a hundred years, there was prayer brought before the Lord for the nations, for the work of God, for all that was happening. In that period of time, these tiny communities, the Moravian community, sent more missionaries around the world than any other movement up until that point. I met Moravian missionaries when I was out in the States who were the first to share the gospel with the Native American Indians. I've met Moravian missionaries in places like Tanzania and Africa and Southeast Asia. From this tiny place, God sent a revival around the world. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of requests for all God's people. That's what we get to do. Come on, and stand up. Holy Spirit, will you come and rest on us afresh right now? Holy Spirit, will you come and just let this truth go deep into every heart represented before you now? Lord Jesus, we say to you, we, we firstly acknowledge We acknowledge where we have sometimes been careless with the things that you've given us. Forgive us, Lord, when we haven't taken seriously the battle that we're in. Um, and more importantly, we haven't taken you as seriously as we should have done. Forgive us, Lord, where we have compromised. Forgive us, Lord, when we have, rather than out of the righteousness that you've given to us, we've actually not walked rightly, but we've walked actually very differently. And we're really sorry, Lord. And we really don't want to give foothold to any enemy that we have. And right now we say we are so sorry for that. But thank you for your grace. That's what we've been reminded of again today, your grace, your utter grace, your utter mercy to us, your utter strength that makes us stand in the battle. And I pray right now that whoever is battling to stand, just right now they would know the strengthening arms of the Lord around them, the armor of God almost around them, protecting them, the Lord himself coming into them and lifting their heads. And Father, I just want to pray for everyone who is, even tomorrow, dreading going into their workplace, going into various places. They're feeling very wobbly in life right now for various reasons, maybe sickness, maybe other things. 
If that's you right now, I just want you to put your hand up and say, Jesus, I need your strength right now. And we stand with you. And just as that picture of the Roman phalanx, we, we raise the shield of faith. And we embrace those words of truth for you that says never will he leave you, never will he forsake you, that through him you can do all things because he strengthens you in his mighty power. I just pray right now, will you release that into my brothers and sisters? And Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would allow us to stand in the battle and as we do that, that we would see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And that we would see thousands saved. We would see captives set free. We would see sickness go. That we would see communities transformed with the power of Jesus. That prayer that Colin prayed earlier on for the lost. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would have mercy upon the lost in our town and in our nation and that you would ignite a revival that would see thousands swept in and coming into your family. That's our prayer. And we just ask in Jesus' name now that you'd release that faith in us to live this way. And all God's people said, Amen.